Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today's episode is with Jonathan Schwabish. Now, if you remember a few episodes ago, I had put up my presentation as a podcast episode at the MapCon conference. I met Jonathan at that conference. And we got to talking, and I was fascinated by his background. He is the founder of the Data Visualization and Presentation Skills Firm, PolicyViz. He's also a senior research associate at the Urban Institute, a nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. There, he's a researcher in the Income and Benefits Policy and a member of the Institute's communication team, where he specializes in data visualization and presentation design. Which brings us to today's topic. Jonathan's going to be talking to us about how to better communicate your data, how to become a thought leader with um, data visualization and all the processes and intricate details that are involved with all that. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tyler. Thanks Thanks so much much for having me. me. The pleasure is mine. So I'm sure some people are reading and listening to everything I just said and like, wait, what what is data visualization? How do you communicate that? Can you explain that? What's all that? Yeah, what does that what does that mean, right? I thought data was just data. What's the big deal? Yeah, what would you say? Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, well. First off, thanks for having me. I'm excited. It was, it was great to meet you uh, at the at MapCon, um, and great to be on the show. So, um, so data visualization uh, for those who aren't really familiar is is basically just formalizing a term that means how do we do a good job of visualizing data, making better charts and making different kinds of charts and uh, making different tools that allow people to create visualizations, either static sort of things that we all see all the time uh, in reports that we're working on or in the newspaper or, or in books um, or journal articles if you're a researcher. And it also comes to things that are you know online and interactive visualizations like you might see on the New York Times website or the Washington Post. So... Uh, my background, as you, as you mentioned, my background is in economics, and I um, I felt for a while that economists are not particularly good at visualizing data. We we work with a lot of data, but we're not particularly good at sort of communicating the data, and that's really what 
drives me and, and gets me excited is trying to help people improve the way they communicate their data, communicate their analysis and their research. Because if you can't do a good job of communicating the research, then it really doesn't end up helping anyone because it then just gets locked away or the it just kind of disappears out into the ether. And and so um, that's what really gets me going and, and drives me is, is trying to help people you know, visualize their data, communicate their data, even write about their data in better, more efficient uh, ways. Huh. That's interesting. So, okay. So I, I'm curious about the story behind that then because yeah. that's, that's, that's very, very – the way you broke it down was amazing. But then what, what was the story with Jonathan? When you first got there to D.C., how did you feel like this is a skill that I can actually be a thought leader in? Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of give you the short version. Um, I moved to D.C. in 2005. Um, I started my career down here as an economist at the Congressional Budget Office. Um, so that's CBO, and CBO is the is the budget arm of the U.S. Congress. So anytime uh, Congress has a bill that is going to either spend money or cut money or, or what have you, uh, CBO has to has to rate it, has to score it. You know the, how much it's actually going to cost. And um, I was working for a long time. I worked on Social Security issues. Uh, worked in a in a large um, model. There that was doing long-term social security forecasting, and um, you know, I kind of was like, I'd, I'd write a lot of reports and and put stuff out, and it sort of, all sort of just sort of seemed to disappear. Like we'd write these big reports, we'd put these graphs into it, we'd spend a lot of time on the writing, and it would just go out and disappear. And and um, so I kind of realized that we were we we were probably not doing as good a job as we could about communicating. So I worked, um, I I took some classes and I took some design classes and I sort of stumbled upon this field of data visualization. And so at the agency, I started revising the way I was making graphs and I had some early successes. And um, so we started changing the way we as an organization and I as an individual changed the way we were making our graphs, the different, we made new report types and then we started making infographics. So infographics are sort of everybody knows now. So infographics are, they're kind of a more complex chart type. They combine text and images and graphs. And so, um, in, let's see, 2012, um, I made a, a one page infographic that was with, that accompanied a 110 page report. And at a congressional hearing, um, Chris Van Hollen, who's a, who at the time was a congressman from Maryland, held up this infographic in a congressional hearing and like talked about it. And, you know, with the, in the video, you can see he had like written all over it. And I was like, oh man, this is, this is really what I want to have happen. I want to have members of Congress holding up these things and using them. Like that's, that's a total win. That's success right there. So, um, so then I just started working even harder, just seeing that, you know, just thinking more carefully about how we were, communicating and how we were visualizing our data could really have an impact. I mean, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, that infographic changed the budget process or, or, you know, made a huge impact, but you know, the fact that a member of Congress was holding up that infographic was just, you know, astounding to me. And that, that was a real sea change. And so, so then, so yeah, so, you know, then I was like, well, if that can work, then we can do a lot more. And then about two and a half years ago, I moved over to the Urban Institute, uh, which you mentioned, which is, a, which is a nonprofit research institution. So we have sort of a broader audience base. And, um, and there I, I do sort of similar things. And just, again, just thinking about how we can get our graphs, get our data, get our reports, get our blog posts, whatever it is, get those things to have an impact and, and be read and uh, be, you know, sort of better understood by people who, who can affect change and who can can change policy. Yeah, you know, I listened to you talk, you know, one of the things, and meeting you and, you know, hearing your story when I was at the conference, 
I was always curious about this because I you saw a lot of presentations that day. Yeah. And you know, you talked about the infographics and seeing how presentations come to life. I'm very curious what you think are like the three top things that you would actually give someone who wants to improve the presentations. Because now you've worked in all these organizations, nonprofit policy areas, and you've seen all these concept conceptualization. But what can anyone listening right now implement to actually instantly improve their presentations? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great, great question. question. So, um, you know, and, and, the, and the sort of people that I work with and, you know, either, you know, at Irving or with other clients tend to be people who are working with lots of data and they're trying to present and present data either, you know, graphically in a report or online or, in a, you know, standing in front of a presentation. And part of the problem is when you really get into this field of like learning how to be a good presenter, when you go and watch people present, you just in your head, you're like, oh, no, don't be doing that. Don't, don't do this other thing. So um, fortunately, you were a great keynote at that event. So, so it was fun to actually like, you know, just listen to the message, which was, which was great. But, um, <laughs> Uh, so, so I think for, for most people, what most people do is they put too much information up when they're using slides, at least they put too much information up on their slides. And so I say the first thing that people should remember is that when you're giving a presentation, everything you say and everything you show is there for the audience and it's not there for you as the, as the speaker. I think a lot of people use slides with lots of text and bullet points because they want to remember as a speaker, I want to make sure I hit these five points. And by putting those five bullet points up on the screen, you you aren't effectively communicating to the audience because the audience starts reading the text and they don't they stop listening to you and it gets bored, gets boring and it's hard to see from the back of the room. So it's not a great way to communicate. So so I guess I, I'd say the three things I would sort of say to people is is first off when you're giving a presentation, when you're creating your slides Put your audience first. Um, too many people put a lot of stuff on their slides so they remember to hit the, these five bullet points they, they want to remember. But the slides aren't there for you as a speaker. They're there for the audience. So the audience has to read the slides, and it's hard to see from the back of the room, and, and they're reading, and they're not paying attention to you as the, as the speaker. So the first thing I'd say is think about the audience and make the audience first because – you're there to get them to do something or to learn something or to, you know, encourage them to do something at the end. The second thing I'd say is to have a clear goal for each slide and for the presentation as a whole, get them to buy into the thing that you want them to see on the slide at the time you want them to see it. So don't throw all that stuff on the slide. And the third thing I'd say, and probably perhaps the most important is, is to practice your presentation, you know, take 15 minutes and practice that, that conference presentation or take an hour and practice it because when you practice it, you learn how things hold together and then you become, as you get more comfortable with the presentation side of things, you become more familiar with it and you rely less on your notes, you rely less on the slides. And so if you can practice it and practice it and practice it, it just becomes better and you become a better communicator. I think a lot of people, you know, they, they, they become an expert in a topic and they think because they're an expert in the topic, they're going to be a great presenter. Um, and the problem with that line of thinking is that writing a report or a blog post or, or being an expert doesn't mean you're a great speaker. It really takes a lot of work. Um, now, in the book, I have a, my, my, my book that's just coming out on, on presentations. I sort of organize the whole book on three themes. And the themes are um, uh, visualize your content as much as you can. So make graphs, make Use pictures, uh, unify your content. So unify what you say with what you show, and uh, have a consistent theme of your slides. And then uh, focus 
your audience's attention where you want it at all times. So those are the sort of those those three themes sort of uh, go all the way through. But if someone would say, what are the three things you want people to do? I say, you know, put your audience first, have a clear goal and um, and uh, <laughs> uh, put your audience first, have a clear goal and um, and and think carefully about what your audience to do with it. No, I, I think it's great. I think the the visuals are also a very cool thing. I, I'm one of the type. Of, I'm one of the presenters that usually goes without actually using anything. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, yeah. But I've often wondered if I sh- if I should, especially now, because now I, I have I have a few upcoming workshops slash presentations that like university type environments or corporate environments. Yeah. I'm like, Tyo, you should probably you should just probably have a slide. You know, it might yeah. stick in Yeah, there. you know, it, it's, it's interesting you say that because I had a lot of people who were like, well, what if I don't have slides? And I'm like, well, that that's okay. I mean, you know, like, I don't know, commencement speakers don't have slides, right? Um, but the one thing about having really nice slides, especially really nice slides, if you like, I mean, they don't have to be fancy, but like you could have an image with uh, a quote, like, Taylor, you were talking about at the, at MapCon, you were talking about a couple scenes from uh, Remember the Titans, right? Like you, you have these couple scenes. And so like one thing about having a big screen behind you with the slide and a quote on it, for example, is that if people take pictures of that and send that out on their social media feeds, you have this sort of really visual piece um, that you can share. Like, um, you know, I just, I just did uh, a few weeks ago, I did a TEDx talk, right? And so like having the picture of me, with the TEDx sign behind me and the screen, this huge screen in this great room, like that's a, that's a really stark, you know, image that you can have. So, you know, slides aren't always necessary, but I think especially in this day and age of where social media can be so important, having those like striking visuals, I think it really, you know, can, can show off something that, you know, maybe just you standing with a microphone doesn't have all that sort of really great visual impact. No, no, I hear you. And, and, um, and do you have any resource for where people can find some of these great infographics and like visuals they can use, or do they just use stock photos? No, I have a lot of great ones that I love. Um, so obviously, you can go buy photographs from you know iStock Photo or Shutterstock, whatever. But um, there are a few new sites that have come out I'd say over the past year where the the images are really high quality and they're free and they're attribution free. So you just take them and do whatever you want with them. So my favorite is a site called Unsplash. So it's, you know, not Splash. I don't, I don't know I don't know the derivation of the name, but it's unsplash.com. Um, and again, the images are really high quality. You just use them for whatever you want, for commercial purposes, for non-commercial purposes. Um, and there are other sites like that. Sites like, there's another one called Pixabay that's, that's similar to that. Yeah, I've heard um, And some other sites have sort of... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
these yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of sites out there now where you can get a lot of free, high-quality stuff. So I, I, I'm a big fan of free stuff. Um, I take my kids to the DC Auto Show every every winter because I like to get the free shopping bags and stuff. But um, um, so I try to get as much, you know, much free images that, and you know, and fonts and icons and all that sort of good stuff because um, there's just so great people doing work and they're just willing to share. Yeah, I hear you. I'm gonna do something that you're probably not expecting. So. Uh, Get ready. Um, I'm ready. I'm preparing right. myself here. I'm reading this. <laughs> Many smart people often become selfish idiots when they give a presentation. John's much-needed book is a must-read for just about anyone asked to share some slides. <laughs> now, that is, if anyone's listening, that's from Seth Godin, the Seth Godin, author of really bad PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, oh, and then, uh, I, I don't know, someone from the University of Michigan, Susan... Dinarski says, do us all a favor. Read this book before your next presentation. From font size to data visualization, Swabish's guide is creating a presentation that will both hold your audience attention and effectively deliver information. Why is your book that's coming out so great and garnering such attention, sir? (laughs) (laughs) Um yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, it, I mean, the things that people have said about it, you know, the sort of, you know, editorial reviews have been so positive. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that, that, you know, Susan and Seth and Alberto Cairo and, and some others have read it and commented on, um, and loved it so much. I think, um, I think the whole idea of the, or the goal of the book was to hit a spot in this world of presentation skills and design that hadn't yet been really, I think, hit which is sort of like the presentation book market is sort of two spots there's like the design side which is how to create beautiful slides and how to construct a story and you know how to pick a good font and how to lay things out and then there's sort of the powerpoint for dummy side of the spectrum um but i really wanted to make a book that would help people who are delivering data rich content so you know the sort of research the economic research that i've done for so long i wanted to help those people learn how to give presentations because anybody can learn how to do this. Anyone can learn how to be a good presenter. So um, I think uh, people are, are, I mean, so far, you know, so far I think people are really excited about it because it is a book that is designed to help people who are, who are working with data, not become designers because I don't think you, I'm not a designer. Like I would never say I'm a designer, but um, you learn some, some basic simple rules and you learn how you can use design to uh, help your message and how to become a better presenter by just learning some some basic techniques and, and skills and strategies, and, and anyone can really do it. So, you know, Seth Godin's obviously written a lot on marketing and presenting, and and Susan Denarski that you mentioned, she's a you know she's a research, uh, a professor at University of Michigan, and um, there's another great quote from Rob, Bob Hall who's at Stanford University. So you know, you know there are great presenters who are economists, but I think as a whole, um, the fields and the people that I run around with, they don't really think about that part of the, of the work, right? It's, it's all about like, let me get some data and analyze it and run some regressions and do some statistics and write this paper and drop a line chart in. And I'm going to go on my way and people will read it because, because they just will. And that's just not the way things work. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I think every, I think everybody who's doing social science research or, or science research or doing research wants to have an impact. And, you know, I think we need to be thinking about how we get people to buy into those ideas and read the research and listen to us talk. And um, the communication really hasn't been a primary part of that. I was working at CBO, like 
I was never really taught how to write well or how to make good graphs or how to give better presentations. And so that communication part was never really part of it. And so that's really what I'm, what I'm focusing on. And I'm hoping that's what people will get out of the book. No, I mean, I love the fact that you focus on improving the way you communicate your data. And, and you're right. You know, it's, so, it's crucial to get your message out there, especially if you're a thought leader and you're trying to be one that, that's create, you know, basically promoting an idea you feel like will improve people's quality of lives. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're working, you're working in this area, right? I mean, you're working on, on important policies, and you're probably seeing people give presentations all the time. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just think a lot – too many people who – or especially maybe maybe they get too far in the weeds and they're just not thinking about, you know, yeah, how right. do I get people to buy into this idea? No, it's it's true, and I think people can get lost in their own work sometimes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Even as I'm developing the YouTube channel, these are things that I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm like, you got to communicate a complex topic into something that people can actually get. And it has to be done in a nice visual way. But the, taking away the visuals, because you say something. We're going to wrap up soon. But you say something that I really love. I was doing some research on you. And you had said, while there are more and newer software tools, for example, Prezi, Canva, Slides, Zoho, and the, you know, the old standby PowerPoint, yeah. that, may, that may help you create better looking slides and add different animations, presenting is still about communication. So it's not the tool that makes the presentation, it's the presenter. And the presenter needs to know what content to present and what content to leave out. I thought that was that was my favorite thing that I read you know, about you. But that is so key. I think a lot of people do end up, you were talking about the, the markets, some have the design, some have the dummies for PowerPoint. But that communication and being intimate with, you, with your content um, is super key. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people get hung up on the tools too much, and this happens, at least in the work that I do on presentations, it all happens in, in data visualization. You know, people are like, oh, don't use Excel, Excel makes bad graphs. You know, don't use PowerPoint, because PowerPoint gives bad presentations. Those two tools don't do anything. Like, the user has to make a graph, the user has to design the presentation and give it. Um, the, the PowerPoint, Excel, or Prezi, or, or, you know, R, or Tableau, or whatever the tool is, is just, you know, it's just there for us to use. But we really need to be using it to communicate. And you know, the other the, the thing that I emphasize, I think, in the book, like right up front, is that researchers and people working with data and data analysts and scholars, you know, we're writing reports and we become an expert in a field and we write this, you know, 25, 50, 200 page report. But the act of presenting it in front of an audience, those are two fundamentally different forms of communication. And it doesn't matter if you're using PowerPoint. It doesn't matter what you're using. It's, it's about communication. It's about talking to people and getting people to, to buy into your ideas and, um, and to discuss your, your ideas and hopefully, you know, you know, affect, affect change, make the world a better place. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I mean, I'm sort of tool agnostic. I, I've been a PowerPoint user for forever and I've recently started getting into Keynote. Um, but you know, I, you know, I could kind of go back and forth because I just sort of see, you know, I sort of use a tool that's good for the thing that I need at the time. You know, if I need, you know, you know, I find in general keynote sort of has, um, better, uh, morphing and animation tools. Um, but PowerPoint, the 2016 thing has seemed to have caught up really well. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, just, you know, for me, it's not about the tool. It's about, it's about what's the, how am I going to deliver the content in the best way possible? So, and, and find the tool that, that helps me do that. All right. Right. Jonathan's book, better presentations, yeah. a guide for scholars, researchers, and wonks is going to be published by the time this podcast comes out. So make sure you grab your copy on Amazon.com and any other online retailer. I'll also put that in, in the show links. Um, as we wrap up, 
I have two questions. I'll end up with my mission statement, but the other is, the first one is, I deal a lot with communicating across cultures. You mm. live in D.C., you, you meet a bunch of people, you're basically in, the, you know, um, in a mosaic right there. What are two or three tips you can share on how to communicate effectively across cultures? Yeah, that, that's, that's a great question. question. So, um, you know, one thing I'd say is be aware of, of, of different what different colors, for example, and what different designs mean to different cultures. So red, for example, means something totally different in Asian cultures than it does in, in Western cultures. Um, the other thing I, I keep in mind, and this, this actually pops up a lot when I'm giving um, longer workshops, uh, where it's a longer day meeting and you know, you're doing lots of things, is to keep in mind the culture that you are working with. So um, I have a friend who, who went to um, uh, UAE or maybe Abu Dhabi for, for a workshop and, you know, he had planned his whole day and he had forgotten to take into account that there was prayer, you know, there was prayer time that was needed. And so, you know, those sorts of things where you may not be thinking about it, may not be the first thing that pops in your head is to really think about that, you know, think about the culture. It may not be, you know, a different part of the world in that sense of the term of culture, but it may be the organizational cultures is different. You know, it may be um, there are things in certain groups that you want to not talk about as a, as a or, or, or that people may not be aware of. So as a good example, I, I did a uh, data visualization uh, workshop at a, at a group um, that everyone in the group in the organization is from Latin America. And I had given one of the groups in this, in this workshop, a, da- a data set on major league baseball. And they were like, we don't know anything about Major League Baseball. Like you shouldn't give you should give us soccer stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't really know anything about soccer, but um, I get the point. So, um, so there's lots of sensitivities to just be aware of, and, and some of it just takes a little bit of research. Sometimes you just need to ask the host. You know, do I need to plan for prayer times? You know, are there things that I should be aware of that? You know, are there any managers in the room, and is there a real hierarchical structure in the organization where maybe analysts don't want to talk about some of the things that they're not doing well or, or where the organization can improve. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, I think everything you said is, is so key. I think doing the research in, in uh, before going ahead of time is so key. I think not being, yeah. afraid, not being afraid to ask questions is, uh, is, is also another thing. And it, you know, like I'm speaking at university in St. Thomas and next month and you know, I've, you know, some of the questions I've asked are what's the culture like, what type of things do they do? What's the makeup, mm-hmm. the demographic, but Things you said with color, things you said with uh, prayer time and having that into effect and organizational structure, hierarchy. If you're in a hierarchical organization, you might, you know, it might not be the type of situation where you call on people to to to, you right. know, to ask. Or, or if you're going to call, maybe you inform them ahead of time and say, hey, as part of this, um, I'm just going to be calling on this, but this is how it helps the presentation. So you're giving right. them. Because some cultures don't like to stand out, and they're not yeah. about that. So you're giving them the idea that oh, they're contributing, and it's a group thing. Or maybe you make groups instead, like right. hey, this group is that, and that way it's a it's a we thing. And uh, yeah, you're so smart, John. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so so for uh, for uh, as we wrap up, where can people find you, and um, and uh, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you can find me on on Twitter. Um, my main handle is at Jay Schwabish. So at J, my last name Schwabish. Um, my uh, my website policybiz.com is is relaunching momentarily. So there'll be all sorts of great new um posts and podcasts. Uh, I also have a podcast called the Policy Biz Podcast where I talk about a lot of the things that that we've talked about 
um, today. And, and the website will also have a, a, a component of it that will be focused on the book. So we'll have lots of materials and resources and tools uh, from the book and things to help you be a better, better presenter. So um, those are those are the places you can find me. And um, you know, always interested in hearing uh, what people are working on when it comes to communicating help them improve or, or just hear the challenges that, that they're going through. Um, and so, you know, kind of like I said earlier, my, my, what drives me really is helping people improve the way they communicate their data, communicate their analysis and their research. And, and hopefully by doing a better job of, of showing data, of communicating data, presenting data, presenting our, our, our work and our ideas, we can affect change and we can, we can, you know, we can help people and we can help make the world a, a better place. All right. Well, I was going to ask you how you use your difference to make a difference because that's how I that's how I end every pod, uh, podcast. But it sounds like you just answered it there. Yeah, no, I've been listening. I've been listening to you, so I'm I'm all, I'm all up on uh, on uh, on uh, how we're going to end. So I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Uh, hey. Well. Uh, uh. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it, uh, Jonathan Swavish. Really appreciate it. Check out his book, and everything will be in the show notes. Till next week, ladies and gentlemen. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 